Okay, so we are entering into the last session of Ruth. Uh, and I've got the handout for you. I think the tables have it. And our title is God's Providential Hand Unveiled. So we start in verse 13, and it says, Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife, and he went into her, and Yahweh granted her conception, and she gave birth to a son. The story comes to a close quickly. Boaz marries Ruth, which is what we were all cheering for along. Boaz is able to marry Ruth, and very quickly the Lord opens Ruth's womb, and she conceives and bears a son. Now, this is obviously an act of God because it says Yahweh opened her womb. Yahweh granted her conception. This is only the second time in the book of Ruth that we see the direct hand of God orchestrating the events in the lives of the people we're studying. At the beginning of Ruth, we saw that Yahweh visited his people and brought food. And that's why Naomi went from Moab back to Bethlehem. And now we're witnessing the hand of Yahweh to open Ruth's womb and grant her the ability to conceive. Yahweh's providential hand brings about this little infant to Ruth and Boaz. And if you think about it, Ruth was married for 10 years in Moab and did not conceive during that time. She's never called barren, but I'm sure everyone around her labeled her as barren for to be married for 10 years and not have a child. That would constitute being barren. And yet here, we see how (laughs) Yahweh quickly opens her womb and she bears a son. And it's in God's timing for his purposes. You think about Ruth. Ruth's entered this story living in a land that worshiped idols. She was a foreigner. She was from a land that was an enemy of Israel. And yet now she's been brought to a position of honor as a mother and a wife, a cherished wife, and she has a heart that's willing to follow Yahweh. Honestly, at a time in Israel when a lot of Israelites are not following Yahweh. Ruth has been steadfast in her commitment to Naomi and follow Yahweh. We see that early she makes in Ruth 1, 16 and 17. She says, do not, she tells this to Naomi when Naomi is saying, go back to your gods, go back to your family. And Ruth says, do not press me to forsake you and turning back from following you. For where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. Thus may Yahweh do to me and more, if anything but death separates you and me. So here at the end of chapter 4, we see that Yahweh is, is honoring and rewarding Ruth for her faithfulness to him. She's now a cherished wife and mother. Now, just as a side note, have you ever contemplated how Ruth came to know about Yahweh? Well, she would have learned it from Naomi. She would have learned all about Yahweh. She would have learned about the God of Israel. Naomi imparts a legacy of faith to Ruth. And sometimes, isn't it, after you've studied this book, hasn't it sometimes been a little easy to throw Naomi under the bus by how she's acting? And yet, this shows us that this small picture of Naomi is not all of Naomi that there is. But I also thought, imagine if you had a challenging season of your life recorded in scriptures for others to judge you by. How would you do as you're wrestling through that season of crisis? None of us would hold up well. And I think what we realize with Naomi is we've had a chance to look at her, but it's been probably the most difficult season of her life. 
And so we need to give her grace. But the story of Naomi's life isn't to show us how not to live. The book of Ruth is to show us that God works his providential plan out in lives of ordinary people making ordinary decisions to live for him. Naomi pointed Ruth to Yahweh and Ruth's life was transformed by Yahweh's providential hand. Ruth comes back to Bethlehem with Naomi and instead of turning back to the family and God's like Orpah did, she's committed to caring for Naomi and following God faithfully. When she goes out into the field in chapter 2, she just happens upon a field of Boaz. What we're seeing throughout the whole book of Ruth is God's providential hand. She wasn't doing this to meet Boaz. She didn't know who Boaz was. She was being faithful to care for Naomi. So she got up and she happened upon the, the field of Boaz. Boaz, when he hears of her love and her care, when he realizes that's Ruth in his field, he doesn't think, ooh, I'm going to marry this woman. He thinks, oh, this is a woman that I can care for. She's part of my family because he knows Naomi and he's heard from others what Ruth has done for Naomi. And so Boaz is simply being faithful. I don't believe Boaz looked at her and just fell in love. I don't think it's that kind of romantic story. I think he heard about her. He heard how loyal she'd been to Naomi and caring for her. And I think the character of Ruth is what causes Boaz to eventually fall in love with her. But at this point in the field, he's simply being a godly shepherd of his gifts that he's been given by the Lord. He's helping Ruth so she can provide more fully for Naomi. He's being faithful. But all of these moments, these people are not aware of how significant these moments are. They are simply being faithful. And I think if there's one thing I want you guys to think about in your own life is realizing that God is not waiting for this pinnacle moment in your life to shine brightly. He shines brightly as you live out your ordinary life being faithful to Him, making the decisions for the day. What do I do? How do I conduct my day? Those are what God shines through in most of our lives. Most of us are not going to be a Moses who gets to strike the rock and see water come out or parts, uh, sees God part the waters. You know, Most of us are not going to live lives like that. Most of us are going to live ordinary, mundane lives. But that's where God's providential plan is unfolding in our lives. Throughout the book of Ruth, we realize that God utilizes what we would call daily living chores to further His purposes and ultimately bring about His grand design. Like I said, this is not just for Ruth. This is in our lives only. Psalm 121.4 reassures us that God neither slumbers nor sleep. He is always at work orchestrating the best for His divine plan in our lives, but he's also furthering his divine, his divine plan for all of the world. When you believe in God's sovereignty, it follows that every, infant, every instant in your life is orchestrated by his hand. No moment is inconsequential. God redeems them all. And so I think the question I would have for you and for myself is, do I live my life in an awareness of the fact that God is orchestrating what I do today and He has a purpose in it. I don't necessarily know that purpose. I may never know that purpose. 
but God does and all he wants to see in my life is faithfulness like what we saw in Naomi and Boaz's lives. Ruth was being a faithful steward. She was caring for Naomi. She had no idea the, the events that were going to unfold because of her faithfulness. But every moment, every circumstance in life presents an opportunity for us to serve God, whether it's at work, in worship, play, changing dirty, dirty diapers, feeding little babies, working every day long hours. Those are all opportunities to serve the Lord. When you're at the grocery store, you have the opportunity of brushing shoulders with people who are ahead of you in line that's going nowhere. You can be a light of God to them or you can be impatient. You can be a horn honker or you can be a horn a car driver of grace. <laughs> Horns should never have been invented except to make the squirrels run away. <laughs> But each one of these moments in our lives are inherently sacred and they're purposeful in the eyes of God. And we need to be praying that God will help us see the times and how he's using our life in other people's lives so that we can be faithful in all situations and be confident that God is working. Even when we think what we're doing is mundane, and repetitious and of no value. God is faithful. He is working in your life. He's using those events to further his causes. Even when we can't see the hand of God, we need to understand he's working. Naomi didn't see how God was working during her time of Moab in her Moab. She didn't see the purpose in it. But we see at the end of Ruth 4 that God had purpose. And I was reminded of the verse in Job, Job 23, 8-10, where Job is going through probably the hardest time in his life. God has allowed Satan to take everything away. Job doesn't know that. We know that because we have scripture to tell us that Satan went up and requested to, to test Job, and God allowed him. But Job says in verse 8-10, to 10, If I go to the east, he's not there. If I go to the west, I do not find him. Job doesn't see God's hand in this. When he's at work in the north, I don't see him. When he turns to the south, I catch no glimpse of this. But then Job in his faith says, but he knows the way that I take. And when he's tested me, I will come forth as gold. Job gives us a beautiful example of someone who doesn't see God's hand at that moment. He's, he sees the pain that he's in, literally physical pain from the boils, but also the heart pain from losing his family, losing all of his livelihood. But Job trusts that even though I don't see the hand of God, I know that he is there. I know that he's working. And I think one of the lessons I want us to take home from Ruth is knowing that God's hand is always at work in your life. And you need to be faithfully pursuing living a life that God desires you to lead. live and trust him for the reward you may or may not see the reward for your faithfulness this side of glory but God sees and he's a rewarder of all good things the second is verse 14 and 15 it's God's providential hand transforming lives then the women said to Naomi blessed is Yahweh who's not left you without a kinsman redeemer today may his name be proclaimed in Israel May he also be to you a restorer of your soul and a sustainer of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you is better to you than seven sons. And she has given birth to him. When Naomi returns from Bethlehem, you all remember, her heart's filled with bitterness. She's empty and she's resentful toward God. She arrives in the city and what does she tell the lady? She says, don't call me pleasant. That's what Naomi meant. Call me Mara. 
because it means bitter, because God's hand has dealt harshly on me. This child that Naomi is now cradling in her arms serves as a testimony to God's faithfulness to Naomi and his deep love for Naomi. Naomi felt so abandoned by God when she returned from Bethlehem. And for a season she endured tragedy that was profound, a tragedy that not many people have to walk through where you lose not only your husband, but both of your sons. And in that day, that would have brought her to destitution. She would have been destitute. And now God is orchestrating her rise from her the depths of her despair to joy unspeakable with the birth of this child. Naomi's been blessed now with an heir, and she's also been blessed that Yahweh has reestablished the land to her family's name, to Elimelech's name. Remember back in this day, the blessing of the Lord was to give you children and to keep your land safe, to, to multiply your land. Naomi had lost both, but through the birth of Obed, she has both, now an heir, and her land is protected. And while Naomi may only see the immediate blessings of the birth of this child, we're granted a deeper understanding of the significance of Obed, not just for Naomi, but for Israel, and then even further for the world, for all of mankind. But now Naomi has an offspring. She's not destitute. She's not living in shame. Now she has a position of honor. And the women of town are filled with joy and gratitude to God as they've seen the remarkable reversal of Naomi's life and the abundant blessings that God has given her (coughs) through his grace to her. God granted Naomi a kinsman redeemer. Now often when we think of the book of Ruth, we think kinsman redeemer, Boaz. Kinsman redeemer is also Obed. Obed is the one actually who is redeeming the land and the family name for Ruth, for Naomi. Obed as the redeemer here. Both Boaz and Obed function as kinsman redeemers. But this little baby is the source of Naomi's restoration. He's the evidence of God's favor on her. And the women go on to declare that Ruth, the loving daughter-in-law, is more precious than seven sons. This declaration would carry a huge weight in the culture because sons were valuable. Daughters, not so much. But sons were where the value on because that's what will continue the line. The son will continue the line. The daughter will marry someone else and help them continue their line. But the son is where the focus is. And here, Naomi, here, the, the ladies of the town are saying, Ruth is more blessed to you than seven sons. Not just than your two sons, but they say seven sons. And in Israel, seven is the number perfect. And Ruth outshined seven sons because of her love and her loyalty and her commitment to Naomi. Naomi was blessed indeed. Then we go on to verse 16 and 17, God's providential hand providing hope and healing. It says, Then Naomi took the child and put him on her bosom and became his nurse. The neighbor women gave him a name saying, A son has been born to Naomi. So they named him Obed. He's the father of Jesse, the father of David. So God's providence is giving hope to Naomi in the form of a little infant. Naomi becomes the nurse for Obed. Now, I don't think she was physically nursing the baby, but it is possible with medication. So there's some, there's some questions here I have. But for now, I think that the symbolic act of giving Naomi 
Obed so that Naomi could put Obed to her bosom. The word nurse there actually is not talking about nursing. It's a word that's used in the scripture, throughout the scripture, to talk about men and women when they take a son to their bosom or they take someone to their bosom. It's more of that closeness is what that's representing. Because that went through me for a little while. I was like, hmm, that's an interesting picture. Um, but that's, it's more of bringing them to their bosom. Um, the women of Bethlehem named the boy Obed. And the, the name Obed means worshiper, worker, or one who serves. So Naomi, who was the empty one, is now full. The bitter one is now blessed. Naomi has a little worker, and she's got the little worker with her. Now there's some details in this verse that I'm going to at least touch on, but I can't really fully explain. A couple of the commentaries I looked at went differing directions with them, so I'm content to leave these questions as unanswerable, but I will at least mention them so you can have it at least mentioned in your hearing. <laughs> I don't know why, but it's in my notes, so I'm going to read it. <laughs> but, so we're left with questions. What role did Ruth play in, Naomi, in Obed's life? You know, did Ruth get to raise her son, or did Naomi raise her son fully? Uh, we have to realize that this wording was very familiar to the people of that day. They understood what this meant. We don't, because we don't have any kind of custom that's close to this. So we're left with questions we can't answer. Obed is definitely given the inheritance of Elimelech. He is the worker and the server of that land. He will be the one continuing the family name. Obviously, as an infant, he couldn't work the land, so Boaz took over, I'm sure, and worked the land. Boaz was willing to make that sacrifice. The kinsman redeemer that was first mentioned was not willing to make that. Mr. So-and-so was not willing to make that sacrifice, but uh, Boaz is. I think Ruth would have had a part in caring for her son. I can't imagine that she is not part of his life with Naomi, but they're also Naomi's caretaker. And so all of this would have been done for the sake of Naomi. It was not to further Boaz's land or his line, but it was for the sake of Naomi. But what I do know is that Ruth is the one that's listed in the genealogy of Christ, not Naomi. So this baby would become the grandfather of King David. He would be the evidence of God's faithfulness to his people and to the people of Israel. Because God had said, you will demand a king and I will give you a king. David would be that king. Obed's birth culminates Boaz's responsibility as kinsman redeemer. Boaz furthered the redemption of Naomi by taking Ruth and being willing to give their firstborn son to Naomi. The hope and the significance of Obed's birth is great. Through his birth, we see the connection to King David, which would have been amazing to the people around in that day. That would have been such a burst of hope in their heart. He would be the grandfather to, to David. By this gift of the birth of Obed, though, we see it so much larger than they were able to see it. The postscript of the genealogy might have even come later. Because what I was reading from the different commentaries, Ruth is written during the time of the judges. That's when it happened. I mean, let me rephrase that. Ruth happened during the time of the judges. But some people have suggested that Ruth might have been written under the rule of King David. So adding that postscript of the genealogy to finish Ruth would have meant something to them. They would have known who David was. And there might have been questions. David at some point in his life, we know, ran from his son that was trying to kill him and take the throne from him. 
was Ruth meant to, or written during that time to show that the throne was established to David, not to anyone else. God gave the throne to David. So it may be that Ruth had the ability, the book of Ruth, had the ability to validate, validate, I'll get it right, validate David's throne. And that makes sense when you look at the genealogy there. And God's word confirms that David is the line that the Messiah will come. 2 Samuel 7, 12 and 13 says, When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up to your offsprings to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He's the one who will build a house for my name. And he's talking about David. But then he says, I will establish his throne forever. David's kingdom will go forever. So David is a link to someone else. Psalm 89, 3 and 4, and then also again in 35 and 37, it says that I've sworn to David my servant, I will establish your line forever and make his throne firm through all generations. God says, I will not lie to David, his seed will endure forever. God had promises to David about a Messiah, King, that would rule forever. And so Ruth gives us that tiny glimpse up to David, but we know there's more to the story. Next point is God's providential hand provides healing. The women say to Naomi, he should be a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. In the immediate sense, this child would have been the difference between life and death for Naomi. Naomi was destitute. She had no way to provide for herself apart from Ruth gathering things. Being a destitute widow along with a tag-along foreign daughter-in-law was not a good thing in Israel was not accepted. But through this baby now and the conduct of Ruth, Naomi has honor and she's been given her life back. She's been restored through this baby. And we go to verses 18 and 22. And the title I gave that was God's providential hand reveals his faithfulness. And I'll read this for you now. Now these are the generations of Perez. Perez became the father of Herzon. Hezron became the father of Ram. Ram became the father of Aminadab. Aminadab became the father of Neshon. Neshon became the father of Salmon. Salmon became the father of Boaz. And Boaz became the father of Obed. And Obed became the father of Jesse. And Jesse became the father of David. Now, how many of you have been guilty when you're reading genealogy of skipping them um, on occasion? Okay, I've read this once, so I can't pronounce any of the names anyways, so especially the ones in the Old Testament. But genealogies have purpose. And the storyteller here is giving us one more scene. We think the story's concluded with the baby and the women rejoicing with Naomi. But it's not. The storyteller has one more line for us, one more opening scene. And it has a profound impression on its readers. And it has a profound impression for us. We see the faithfulness of God knowing that Obed will become the grandson of David. Obed will be bringing in the king to them. But there's an even greater twist here. Because Ruth takes it to King David, but establishing a king in Israel doesn't meet the true need of Naomi or the people of Israel or of us, does it? Bringing about a kinsman redeemer doesn't solve the problem. And the problem is sin. Sin is the problem. God faithfully restores to Naomi her need for an heir. He brings the family back. But Naomi, just like us, is a sinner. She's a person who's in a state of rebellion against God. 
She's opposed to God, and in her sin, she's just like Boaz and Ruth. Even though they lived godly lives and we see faithfulness in them, Boaz and Ruth are still sinners in need of redemption. Even though they walked godly, they, in their hearts, were never pure before the Lord. They were still sinners. They needed more than the temporary redemption of the land and the name. They needed a true redeemer, one who would reconcile them with God and make him right before him forever. And this is where the genealogy takes us. We know God doesn't waste words, so when you're facing these genealogies and you're tempted to skip them, don't skip them. God has a purpose for all those names. He has a purpose for telling us those. The genealogy that's listed in Ruth is also the genealogy that we see in Matthew. In Matthew 1, Ruth's genealogy is found smack dab in the middle of the lineage of Christ. So what the author's done is he's given us one little part of the genealogy. Matthew 1 gives us the complete genealogy. It traces the genealogy of Christ beginning with Abraham. Then it goes to Isaac, Jacob, Judah, and Perez. Perez is where Ruth picks up. But with Perez, the genealogy adds a little bit. So bear with me here as I talk about genealogies. Don't tune me out like you might in your reading. <laughs> Listen here, because there's some really cool things here in the genealogy that I just love. Um, Perez is the mother who was Tamar. Now, if you guys remember, Tamar was the Canaanite daughter-in-law of Judah. And what happened? Her husband dies, and Judah does not do what he should have according to the Leverite law. The Leverite law, he had one son he gave to her, that son dies, another son, that son dies. Well, Judah said, just wait, go home to your family, wait, and I'll give you my next son. Well, when the next son comes up, I think Judah's like, well, I don't want him to die too. So he does not do what he is commanded to do according to the Leverite law. So, which was to give that son to the woman of the deceased brother so that that son can raise up the offspring, right? This is what we've seen happen here in Ruth. Boaz gave his son as the offspring for Naomi and Elimelech. Well, Judah's not willing to do that. And so what Tamar does is she disguises herself as a prostitute and she goes sit at, sits at the gate. Well, Judah comes along and he takes her as a prostitute and she conceives. And so, but she doesn't tell him who she is. She's disguised. She doesn't look like herself. And he doesn't recognize her. He's not in it for her. And so, anyway, later when he finds out that Tamar's pregnant, he sends someone to go judge her. And judgment in that time, if you were a pregnant woman out of marriage, would be death. And so when, she, when they come to Tamar to ask her about her pregnancy, she has an article of clothing from, Ta from Judah. Because that was how he paid her, was through that article. She, she said, can you give me this piece of clothing from you. And so when he goes to catch her, she hands that article of clothing to the people that come, and she says, give this to Judah. And so they take it back to Judah, and Judah realizes it's him. He realizes he's the father of her child. And at that time, he realizes he had not fulfilled what God had called. But Tamar did this to preserve the line of Judah. She did it for Judah's sake, the ancestral sake. And so what we see here is in Matthew, Matthew steps out and says in this genealogy, Perez, and then he marks who the mother is. She's a Canaanite woman who used herself as a prostitute to further the line of Judah, which eventually furthered the line of Christ. And then it goes on and it says, um, the, the lineage 
progresses from Ram, Aminadab, Nishan, Salmon, and Boaz. And at Boaz, it adds another detail in Matthew. It says, Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Rahab the harlot who was in Jericho, who hid the spies as they came to spy out the land. She hid them. Her only request was, would you save me and my family? So she hangs a, a cord out her window so when they come to attack Jericho, they're able to take out Rahab and her family because she protected the spies and she gave them honor. But Rahab also becomes the mother of Boaz and Rahab is in the lineage of Christ. And then you go on through the, the genealogy, it goes to Obed and then Ruth, the Moabite. All three of these women were godless and were not Israelites. They were Canaanites and a Moabite. So God used these women for the line of Christ, to be listed in the line of Christ. And I think that is so amazing. He used women who actually came from nations that were enemies of God. And yet God takes them and he grafts them into the line of Christ. I think that is so awe-inspiring. And to me it just reminds me of how in Genesis 12, God promised to Abraham that the Messiah would be a blessing to all nations. All nations were represented by Christ. He wasn't just a Jew. He had all nations in his body. Now he was sinless. And don't ask me to explain how that happens. That's another whole other thing that you can go to the pastors about. It, but I believe it by faith. God was, Christ was fully human, perfectly fully human, and fully God. And how God orchestrated that to be, I don't know, but I love that God planted people in his lineage that were women who were not from Yahweh's land. They didn't know about Yahweh, but they responded in faith and in godliness to Yahweh. And God rewarded them by putting them in the line of Christ. But the amazing blessings don't stop here. As you keep reading... You read the list, and you read that David fathered Solomon, who was the father of Rehoboam. And then it goes on down the line to Christ. But there's another interesting name I wanted to point out. Manasseh. Manasseh is in the line of Christ. And I hadn't really noticed that before. Manasseh was one of the most wicked kings of Israel. He is known for his wickedness. The wickedness was unparalleled in what he did as a king to Israel. At the end of his life, he repents. But the damage is done. He was a wicked king, and yet here Manasseh, as the wicked king, is in the line of Christ. So not only David, who was a godly king, who loved God and was a man after God's own heart, you also have Manasseh, who was one of the most wicked kings in the light of Christ. So doesn't that just show us that God didn't cherry-pick perfect people to represent humanity in the life of Christ? When you look at that lineage, they're not perfect. There are ordinary people, some of whom sin greatly, but all of them sin and need a redeemer. And that's who God used. He used flawed, sinful human nature to be the manifestation, the representation of mankind in Christ, who would be our perfect Savior. And I think that's so beautiful because it shows how urgently we need a Savior and a Redeemer. Just looking at the lineage of Christ, you realize how urgently we need a Savior and a Redeemer. And He answers that need. God answers that need by giving us Christ. 
So the genealogy of Ruth takes us from King David, their first king, but then it points us to Christ, who will be our eternal king. This is God's ultimate promise to us, isn't it, from Scripture? is the redemption of his children to him and the restoration of us with him. In the garden, Adam or God walked with Adam and Eve. Sin came. God could no longer relate with man because of sin. So God all along, it didn't, he didn't say, oh, plan B now. God knew all along he'd planned for his son to be the redeemer of man, to be the redeemer of our sin. And the, the lineage and the genealogy in Ruth takes us and points us to Christ, who is our perfect redeemer. And that's his purpose points us to King Jesus. Jesus will be king. Psalm 145 says, Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures for all generation. So Ruth beautifully takes us and brings us all together by the providential hand of God. We see the providential hand of God weaving throughout their lives from a foreign place and a place of loss with Naomi and Ruth because Ruth also suffered loss but we never really consider her loss because the focus is Naomi. But from a foreign land and loss, God brings Ruth to Bethlehem. He orchestrates her encounter with Boaz. Eventually he brings forth Obed to redeem man. And I think it is so beautiful. And for our lives, I think the hope of what it shows us is that God is continuing to work in our lives. This wasn't just a picture of, oh, God's providential hand was in Ruth. This is God's providential hand for all of mankind. Even today, God's providential hand is orchestrating what happens. And do we always know why? No. I think, in fact, I think most things in our lives, we will not be able to look back and say why they happened. But small or big, I don't know why. And as I was studying God's providential hand last week, I got sick Sunday night and had some really weird things happen. And I thought, okay, Lord, how is this a plan? How is this part of your providential hand? What purpose did you have for giving me a really freaky eye right now? <laughs> Looks better now, but I don't know. I, don't, I can't tell you why. But I was so thankful that you got to listen to Blake last week because I thought he had a beautiful message. He covered everything I wanted to cover, and he added even more. And it was so precious for those of us who sat under his ministry to hear him again. And I thought, Lord, I can rest in you not having answers. I can be thankful that I'm well today and nothing happened, that nut got broke. So I'm thankful for that. But I don't know why. Most of the things that happen in our lives, we may never fully understand why, but we can know without a doubt that God's providential hand is orchestrating every part of it. He doesn't just ignore the small details. Ruth shows us that because she's just living life. But we see it. We see God's providential hand. Sometimes it's easier to see it in someone else's life than it is in yours. But it's still true for your life, even if you can't see it. So in conclusion, the book of Ruth and the genealogy of Matthew, they intertwine to give us such a beautiful tapestry of God's providence in the midst of human choices and human stories. From ordinary people like Ruth and Naomi and Boaz to the lineage of Christ that we see in Matthew, we are, we are witnessing God's orchestrating, working us to where He will finally redeem His people and restore His world. And we know that time is coming. 
And the encouragement is that we see God's work in Ruth. We take by faith that he's working in our lives. So whether we're in moments of joy or seasons of challenge, we can trust God's providential hand as it guides our path and as it unfolds his greater plan. God's not going to ask me, why do these things happen? He's going to ask me, was I faithful to him as I lived through the things he brings into my life? the things that he is causing to happen in my life. Am I being faithful? Am I responding in godliness? That's what God is interested in. He will make the rest play out. We're not in charge of that. So I think our prayer is that God would grow my faith, your faith, and our trust in him as we navigate our lives, our daily lives, cleaning children, carpooling back and forth with children, being the taxi driver for your family, cleaning diapers, feeding your family, making a home nice for your husband, working, whatever God has called you to do, He's faithful. He's working. All He asks from you is that you are faithful in your response to Him. You faithfully do the chores you've been given. You faithfully do the responsibilities you've taken on. And you ask God to be a light for you and of His light to the world around you. That's all he asks of us. He'll take care of the rest. We know that he's one who neither sleeps nor slumbers, and he's orchestrating our steps to further his plan of redemption for us and his children in the world. So let's go ahead and close in prayer. Our dear Heavenly Father, God, thank you so much that we just need to trust you. Lord, I thank you for just the the reminder, God, that you work in ordinary lives. Lord, you don't ask us to be Moses. You don't ask us to be anything that you've not made us to be. Lord, what you desire from us is a heart that trusts you, a heart that desires to live faithfully, a heart that desires to be used by you to shine your light to the world around us, God, because we're always wanting to be used by you to draw others to you. Lord, I pray that no matter what season of life the ladies find themselves in right now, I pray that they would have eyes that could trust you and live faithfully before you, Lord. God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for this precious book of Ruth and just the beautiful lessons it's given us to reflect on and to learn from, Lord. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.